All right, so we are moving on in our study of James. So if you have your, we have some sermon notes here. So if you didn't get a bulletin on your way in, we also have sermon notes that we can get a QR code. And uh, I might be messing, nope, we do not have. Okay, so we do not have online sermon notes. My apologies. All right. So if you didn't get a bulletin, if you want to grab one real quick, I'll, I'll, I'll give us a little bit of a, a pause here to let you get that because we're gonna, definitely going to want your notes today. All right, so we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, one of those things that I wanted to share with you is that we're going through the book of James, okay? And James primarily has been focusing on spiritual maturity. That is the greatest issue that the church is facing that James is having to address, is the lack of spiritual maturity. And so uh, I have a fun little illustration for you, and I'll be forever known as the pastor that brought an axe handle to the stage. <laughs> Back in 1989, I enlisted in the U.S. Navy. I went off to boot camp, and then I went off to A school for aviation electronics training, and then I went off for a couple C schools. When I finally made it to my duty station, Naval Air Station Fallon, Nevada, I found myself in the F-18 avionics maintenance lab, um, where I worked on F-18 radars and avionics equipment in the cockpit. One of the things that struck me as odd was hanging up in this electronics lab was an axe handle hanging up on the wall just sitting there and I was quickly informed what the purpose of this axe handle was for you see the amount of electricity that it takes to power an F-18 Hornets radar system is immense and as a maintenance technician having to work on this you have to actually test it while it's on so you can imagine the same power that's coming out of an aircraft to not only track bogies do all of its weapon and targeting data acquisition, that's a lot of power, okay? What would happen is if you didn't respect the rules, the safety guidelines that were laid out by, by the Navy on how to properly test this, so if you had a disregard for safety, and you also thought, like, I can get away with it, if you were wrong, you were then being attached to hundreds of volts of power and you would literally be electrocuted to death. Your disregard for safety and not having proper respect for the rules could cost you your life. Now, as a fellow sailor, your first reaction would be to see your, 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 your buddy being electrocuted. You want to come over there and take him off. The problem is there was so much power. You too would be electrocuted. So saving your buddy would cost you your life. Hence the axe handle. What we were trained to do in order to save your buddy was you grab this axe handle off the wall and with all of your might, you were to break their hands off that electrical circuit. In the process, you are probably going to break one wrist, two wrists. You are going to break bones. But what you are doing is you're saving a life. Now, it seems like a pretty harsh reality to be thinking having to break bones but actually, it's love. Because left to that demise, the outcome's death. At, most likely, at the best case, you're going to lose some digits. So, with that, let's jump into James. <laughs> but why do I bring that? Why do I talk about that? The reason I talk about that is because James is using some very harsh language, especially when we get into chapter 4. All right, so real quick here, 
I want to talk to you about. So chapter 3, we're talking about wisdom that comes from above versus worldly wisdom. Okay? And previous to that, James has been talking about the importance of spiritual maturity and the lack thereof, what it looks like. So he's been talking about the principle, the theological principle of being mature in Christ, getting wisdom from above, followed by what he's seeing in the world, what he's seeing in the church. And so one of the things I just wanted to have it kind of stick in your mind as we're thinking through this is this, this quote. Spiritual maturity is graded in the lab of life, not in the classroom of church. Let me say that again. Spiritual maturity is graded in the lab of life, not in the classroom of church. We come to church to be edified. We come to church to learn. Learn the, the history of the Bible, the truths of the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible. All this stuff is learning, 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 learning. But it matters not if we don't apply it to how we live. That's where we get the passing grade. When I went through my electronics training in the Navy, it didn't matter if I got A's on all of my tests. Could I do it in the lab? Could I do it in the field? Did that training amount to wisdom where I could go out and fix an F-18? If I couldn't fix the F-18, it didn't matter what certificates of training I had hanging on my wall, they were worthless because I couldn't do the job. And what James is talking about here is we come to church, we fellowship, we worship, we learn, we do Bible studies, we do different types of things. The whole point is as we go through life, that's where we're being tested. That's where we're being graded. All right? So let's take a moment now, open up your Bibles, and let's look at James chapter 4. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to dive into this text. All right. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or a judge or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. Okay. That's some pretty harsh language. Let's dive in and let's understand what James is talking about, what he's seeing, and why he's using such harsh language to address a problem in the church. And then we're going to see, do we have the same problem? Or is this just something we just learn about, and, but, we're, but we're good? Let's find out. The first thing I want to draw our attention to is what I see is the, is the source of the problem. So according to James, the source of our spiritual maturity is our own selfishness and pride. 
the source of our spiritual maturity is our own selfishness and pride. Let's take a look at the first couple verses here. James says, what causes the quarrels and what causes the fights among you? Is it not this? This is rhetorical. Of course it is. That it's your passions that are at war within you. It's the very passions inside of us that are warring with the spirit God gave us. What we want versus what God wants for us. We are at war within ourselves. And this is the source of what's happening. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. So here James is talking about not necessarily murder as in killing a person, but Jesus taught that if you're angry with your brother, if you think ill will of your brother, that that's the same as murder. So these quarrels, these fights, is being angry with one another, in God's eyes, that's murder. And why is this happening? Because we are coveting and we cannot obtain what we want. So we fight and we quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Wow. Really? We're arguing and we're fighting and we're bickering and we're clawing and trying to get stuff and we don't even bother to ask the one who provides. And then James goes on in verse 3. For those of you that do ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. So we see here that this is selfishness that is fueling. We want what we want. And uh, the word here for passions in the Greek um, it's the root word for hedonism, okay? There's this philosophy and pursuit of passions and pleasures. It's the things of life that we want, the things that the world offers and says, come follow me. It's the source of happiness. It's the source of all meaning. It's the source of all pleasure. That's what hedonism is. It's looking after these pleasures and pursuing them, okay? Now, much like money, we've heard that money is the root of all evil. No. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Having passions by themselves is not a bad thing. It's what place passions have in our heart is what makes them bad or not. Now some passions for things that are absolutely opposed to God, those in themselves would be absolutely wrong. But there's other passions in life that would actually be glorifying to God, would be good in God's eyes. But if we make them an idol before God, they become what became good is now bad. All right. Now let's take a look here also what's happening here. Understand that this, this lack of spiritual maturity is what's causing this. Now, there's different levels of spiritual maturity. When you're new to the faith, you're a baby in Christ. You have a lot to learn, okay? And so, of course, you're going to have your passions and your things that you don't understand, don't fit with God, okay? That's not, that's not what James is talking about right here. He is talking to a church that has sat under the instruction of the word for some time. They should be teachers of the law. Some of them claim to be teachers of the law. They have time in service. They should be mature. And rather than pursuing the things of God, they are the pursuing the things of their passions. And this is becoming so bad and he caught it, that it's affecting the credibility of the gospel. And that is why James is coming with an axe handle. Knock it off. You are discrediting the name of Jesus. Knock it off. A couple of scripture verses here to talk about to reinforce this. First one we have is James 1, 14 to 15. He's already spoke on this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth to death. He's already talked about this. Where does this come from? This is coming from our own passions, our own desires. We're being tempted, but something is already in us. 
Satan just likes to tempt us with what we already have inside of us. It comes from our own selves. Galatians 5. We've put this up here before, okay? This is an eye chart, so make sure you close one eye while you read it. The point of this is to show you that these things, these works of the flesh, this strife, this jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, this is coming from our flesh. This is not coming necessarily from Satan. Satan will tempt. Satan wants to destroy. He wants to deceive. But this is coming from within. It's the enemy within that we have to watch out for. This is the biggest problem with our spiritual maturity is we don't recognize the greatest problem with this world is me. It's not Satan. Satan just takes advantage of the fact that I've got brokenness and I've got stuff inside here that he wants to bring out and Jesus came to redeem. There's also prideful judgment. Take a look at verses 11 and 12 here. Talks about not to speak evil against one another. The one who speaks evil against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, are you not a doer? You're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. Prideful judgment of your brother? So this pride comes in. You also see here in verse, in verse 6, Therefore God says, God opposes the proud but gives to the grace to the humble. There's pride here. One of the seven deadly sins is pride. Pride that I have a better way than God has. I know how to run my life better than God does. I don't have to follow God's will because I have a better plan. Okay? Or the pride that says I can do God's stuff and I can do John's stuff. I can do both. I know the scripture says against that, but I can do both. Or even more so, I'm going to be a teacher of the law. I'm going to be one that polices things for God. So I'm going to start judging what my brothers and sisters do rather than looking inward. The perfect scripture for that is Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Move there. It talks about not to be judged for with the same measure that you judge, that is what's going to be used against you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log is that in your own eye? Okay? Why would we look in our brother's eye and pull out a speck when we are refusing to look at the log in our own eye? Because pride blinds us to think that we don't have a log. Pride blinds us to think that we're the teacher when we're the one who should be the student. So, back to our main point here. The source of our spiritual maturity is our own selfishness and pride. Second point. Unrepented spiritual maturity corrupts our fellowship with believers. Unrepentant spiritual immaturity corrupts our fellowship with believers. If we continue to live a life that is not growing in our faith, it will corrupt, and it does corrupt, the very fellowship, the very family God's trying to build in his church. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? See, there it is, quarrels and fights. See, this immaturity is the source of the quarrels and fights. You want things, so you murder. You start hating your brother. You start hating your sister. You don't get what you want, and so you start trying to take what you want. It is the very foundation, the very fabric of a lack of fellowship, arguing, strife, jealousy, dissensions, rivalries. That is not fellowship. That is the exact opposite. And if you look at what's happening here, this is the exact opposite of what James was talking about in chapter 3, just before here. In verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So right there in chapter 3, James is talking about the theology of wisdom from above. 
and also the theology of wisdom from below. And right here in chapter 4, he's showing it. And guys, you're living in it. You're practicing wisdom from below. It's messing with your fellowship. Let's take a look at a couple scripture verses. Exodus 20. We got 13 through 17 here. This is the second half of the Ten Commandments. Okay, the first of the commandments is your relationship with God and your relationship with others. You can't practice these things and have fellowship with one another. It doesn't work that way. You can't murder. You can't covet. You can't steal. You can't bear false witness and expect to have good fellowship among the believers. You just can't do it. So it, it corrupts your fellowship. Look at verse 11. It says, do not to speak evil against one another. All right, well, let's take a look at James chapter 3, 9 and 10 here, what it was just talking about. James chapter 3, 9 and 10. We bless the Lord and Father with our mouth, and then we use the same mouth, the same tongue to curse people who are made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. Our brothers, this should not be. Again, if out of our mouth comes cursings to our brothers and sisters, how can you have fellowship? You can't. It doesn't work. It corrupts. And last but not least, our judgment. Verses 11 through 12. If we are in the flesh, and our spiritual immaturity is going to continue to judge our brothers and sisters, you're not going to enjoy the fullness of fellowship that God's called us to have. Let's look at Romans chapter 14. Okay? Now that's an eye chart right there for you. All right, but as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Okay? Pride and our flesh is going to think that our, what we would consider a weaker brother is in sin. When, it, when in all reality, they're just exercising their freedoms in Christ. But if you're busy judging your brother, judging your sister, because they happen to have a couple different opinions on how to share, express their faith, how to live their faith, you're going to impede fellowship. And I think we all have been around those type of people. Perhaps we've even been that type of person. I know when I was early in my faith, I was a pharisaical zealot. I was so absorbed with the Word of God and looking at people, and I, and, and I was constantly picking somebody apart for what I thought was an error. And then I had a wise mentor said, John, the problem is you keep reading the Bible like this. I love you, brother. It works better this way. The heart that God wants to change is right here. A lot of Christians read their Bibles like this. And it destroys the very fabric of fellowship. And so James is imploring him. Face it this way. Works a lot better. Amen? <laughs> All right. Our third observation here. 
unrepentant spiritual maturity not only corrupts our fellowship with believers, it corrupts our communion with God. Unrepentant spiritual maturity corrupts our communion with God. That close, intimate relationship, that spiritual intimacy, that relational intimacy, that conversing, that spending your time just enjoying his presence, when we are continue to sit in our spiritual immaturity, it impedes, it corrupts that communion that God so desperately has laid the foundation for. Let's take a look at that. How does it do that? Well, let's go back to verse 3 here. First thing it does is it hinders our prayers. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Another word for that spend is to squander it. Okay? If you're living according to the flesh and you are not growing in your spirituality and you keep asking God for things that are not of his will, he's not going to give them to you. He loves you too much to give you what you really don't want, but you think you do. So your prayers are being hindered. How can you have communion with God when he's ignoring your prayers because you're praying for things that are outside of his will? Let's take a look at what 1 John says here on that. Okay? As this is confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that we ask of him. Okay, but what's the catch there? According to his will. We have to align our prayers with the will of God. Even Jesus said, Lord, if there's any way to take this cup from me, please do so. Is there another way to accomplish your will aside from the cross? But may your will be done. I'll do whatever's necessary. Okay? So it hinders our prayers. It also hinders our communion. Look at how God views this. this is, and this is where the strongest language really comes in. And this is why it's, so, it's such a hard message. To, I mean, this is not a fun message to preach. Okay? This is not one we walk out of here and say, Man, I just feel awesome. Man, that was oh, I love the Word of God. This is great. No, look at the words he uses. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those are harsh, adulterous people. What is he saying? God constantly saw that when the Israelites, when the nation of Israel was constantly, and this is a strong word, so forgive me, prostituting themselves, following false gods, denying God, not willing to serve God, not willing to obey God. They didn't want the God that saved them. They wanted to go after the world. God was supposed to be their king. And they said, no, we don't want you as our king. We want to have a king like the other nations have. We don't want to be like you. We want to be like the world. And he constantly set prophets after to chase them back and to bring them back like a wayward wife, like a wayward spouse. And, and his prophets constantly called them, you adulterous people. You're, prophets, you're prostituting yourselves everywhere you go. You're finding some opportunity to disobey me. Some opportunity to do something other than what I have for you. Harsh, harsh language. God, God sees it as adultery. He sees it as a hostility towards him. He sees it as an enemy, as opposition. He opposes these things. All right, so let me just kind of be very clear here. God's will over here. God's will over here. This is what I have for you. Okay, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. I love you. And then there's the world. There's this line. And the world says, ah, forget God. Everything you want is over here. And you can have it now. And it won't cost you. You don't have to go through all that stuff to get what you want. Just do it my way. And what he's saying is, look it, you can't be over here. 
You can't be over here and have fellowship with God. God is at war with what's over here. So you can't do that. You cannot have fellowship with God while you're living in the land of the enemy. It's the same thing as when you're going to war. You cannot be carousing with the enemy and be trying to fight the enemy at the same time. You can't do it. So your unrepented spiritual maturity corrupts your communion with God. There's several scriptures here. I'm going to pass over those for right now for the sake of time. But here's where I want us to take a look at these three principles. So if we can put those three observations on the screen right there. We have to be able to bring this home. James wrote this because he saw this being lived out in his church. Most likely, it's being lived out right here. Next slide. Let's take a look. Is it, is it in me? Am I part of this problem? And I have a couple questions to ask you about this. Is peace in my life an idol? Do I want peace in my marriage? Do I want peace in my parenting that I won't have the tough conversations? I won't discipline? I won't resolve conflict? I will escape at all possibilities? Is that something in my life where I want peace and pleasure in my marriage and my parenting? Do I want peace and pleasure in my work? Do I only want peace in my church community? Do I only want peace in social communities? Do I, do I, do I seek to avoid the very things that God uses to strengthen me? Because peace and the lack of conflict could be an idol. God uses conflict to sharpen us. If we escape it and we constantly avoid it and we pursue peace, we keep pursuing the very things opposite of God. How about fights and quarrels? What are our fights and quarrels really about? A lot of times if me and my wife will fight, I'll come back and look at like, what were we actually fighting about? Most likely it was something insignificant, but because of a passion inside of me, I took offense to it. I felt defensive about it. Because in all honesty... I wanted something that probably what God didn't want in me. And so it caused a quarrel. How about our position? Do we aspire to have a different position in the house? Wives, sometimes the wives aspire to be the leader of the family. Where God's like, that's not the plan I have for the family. I put the man as the leader. A lot of times the men reject that leadership. They want a different plan. I want to be the man that just goes and plays video games and goes to work and doesn't have to worry about parenting. That's not the position God's called you. How about perfection in your family? You want to raise that perfect family. You'll do whatever it takes to have that image of perfection. You want to, you want to pursue the things. I want to pursue the vacations. I want to pursue the hobbies. I want to do things that are counterculture to what Jesus is trying to do in me. I'm pursuing the world and what the world shows. You look at the sitcoms. You look at the posters. You look at the magazines. You look at the websites. They're all showing you these picture-perfect models of society. But they're without God, and they're not real. Are we pursuing those? Vacations and hobbies, are we pursuing luxury? Are we pursuing things that we can't obtain? We try by going into debt, and we pay for the next one. We pay for the next one, and we're constantly pursuing the next fun thing rather than doing the hard work of being responsible with our money and growing in Christ and serving others. So the key here is to say, look internally. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? Where do I struggle with this? When God says one thing, do I yield to him? Or do I see what the world is offering and do I go to the other camp and I play here? Where are you playing? Where are you spending your time? For James, he was seeing this as spiritual immaturity. 
you have not grown in Christ. You've actually spent your time, instead of growing in Christ, growing in the ways of the world. When he looks at you, he sees the world, not Jesus. So the question you have to ask yourself is when you look in the mirror, do you see John? Do you see yourself? Or do you see Jesus? Who do you see? So what do we do with this? How do we apply this teaching in our lives? Three simple points, but they're not easy to follow. Three simple points, but they're not easy to follow. The first one, James says it right here in verse 7. We have to submit ourselves, therefore, to God. We have to submit to God fully. Okay, Submitting to God is a passive imperative. This is an imperative, it is a command. Submit to God. But we submit so passively. What it means is a state of mind. It's a resoluteness of will. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what God says, regardless of the situation, I choose to follow God, period. Period. I will submit myself to the will of God, to the plan of God, to the work of God, to the spirit of God, to the scriptures of God. That's where I will resolutely stand. We have to submit ourselves to God. And we have to do that here and here. That's the first thing. Second thing we have to do is we have to resist the devil. Verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this is an active command. Alright? This is standing against. And in Ephesians 6 is a great example of how to put on the armor of God and to stand firm in the testing and trials that Satan's bringing at you. You actively have to put on the armor and you actively have to stand and you resist him. And the third thing, you draw near to God. Verse 8 through 10. You draw near to God. Now notice how James in these couple verses here, notice how, he, how much time he spends writing these words, right? Submit is one verse, resist is one verse, and then draw near is many verses. The power to resist the devil is drawing close to God. When you've got God as your bodyguard, you are much more equipped to battle Satan than you are by yourself. And so how do you draw near to God? Well, there's a lot. This is just filled with another eight imperatives. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter to return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What is this saying? We have to confess and repent for our spiritual immaturity. Confession is calling it as it is. It's just being real. It's not sugarcoating it. It's not trying to dismiss it. It's not trying to minimize it. We have to call our sin a sin. We have to call our sin a sin. There is no small sin. It's just sin. Every little sin sent Jesus to the cross. When we, when we minimize our sin, we minimize our repentance, and then we minimize living for Christ, growing in Christ. We can't come to God with a five-cent repentance and confession for a $500 crime. We have to call it what it is. Father, I am pursuing something of the world. I am prostituting myself against your will. I am pouring myself off of the world's offerings. I have disobeyed you. I am so sorry. And then repentance is turning 180 degrees and choosing to do the exact opposite. So you cannot repent and continue to keep doing the same thing. Repentance is turning away from that and choosing to do the things of God. 
Submit, resolute will. Lord, your way or no way, I will not move from here. Whatever your word says, however your spirit moves me, that's what I'm going to do. Period. Resist the devil. Pray, put on the armor of God, and the best way to resist the devil is draw near. Cleanse your hands. Confess of the sins. Repent. Turn away. Draw close to God in humility. And that, as he continues to teach you with his word, grow you in his word, sustain you in his word, he's going to build you up into maturity to be the image of Christ for the work of Christ that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this harsh message. Father, I know these words are harsh. It's not easy to hear words like adultery, enemies, and being hostile against you. You're our God. You're our Father. We love you so much. And Father, it's easy to hear a message like this today and think that this message is for anybody else but me. I pray, Father, that you just really search our hearts. Let the Spirit move in us. I pray, Father, that we are convicted that while we may not be at the full fruit of spiritual maturity, Father, if we're on a path of that direction, would you, would you correct us now? Bring us back to you now. Father, help us to submit fully to you. Help us to know that your way is the best way. There is no life apart from you. That if we continue down this path of spiritual maturity, whatever it may be in our life, that it's going to impact our fellowship with our family here at church. It's going to impact all of our relationship. And more than that, it's going to impact our relationship with you. We will not enjoy the fullness of communion with you if we continue on this path. And so, Father, draw our hearts close to you. Help us to live for you. Help us to resist the devil when he tries to tempt us with the things of the world. And help us to be cleansed as we continue to draw near you. And, Father, more than that, help grow us into mature Christians that resemble Christ more and more each day. Father, we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.